0: This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to Body Count, a history podcast where we gab about death and disaster through the ages, highlighting figures, single events, time periods, whatever it may be that resulted in someone, or as is usually the case, a lot of someone's dying. I am your host, Jessica Manner, joined as always by my fantastic
2: co-hosts. Caradita Musio, and we are back with more of Gallipoli and William Malone and Thomas.
0: Kelda, yeah, I'm still here. We're not done yet. Uh we still <laughs> got a while to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we're we've still got a wee while to go yet. Uh we've actually about to just hit Gallipoli. That's where we got up to. <laughs> so <laughs> part three, we're
1: doing it.
0: So episode three. Of our Gallipoli series, we've only just hit Gallipoli. So if you haven't listened to the previous two, I'd recommend you do so. Um, <laughs> they're reasonably crucial-ish um, for Perfect. context, um, but also William Malone's kind of character, because um, he's kind of the person that we're focusing on um, in general. You know, he's the, the lens that we're seeing this through, if you will, Um so the previous two episodes build up a bit more of who he is and how he operates and that kind of stuff as well. Uh but for anyone who needs a reminder, um William Malone is the Lieutenant Colonel of the Wellington Battalion, which is part of the um Australia New Zealand Army Australia New Zealand Army Corps, which is commonly referred to as the ANZACs. Um and last time we mostly discussed about what he was doing And what they were doing in Egypt, um, which was mostly training and a little bit of skirmishes and some time off, uh, a few few brothels, uh, a few riots, you know, all that kind of good stuff, you know. Um, So, yeah, so we kind of ended last time where um, they had just uh, left or just about to leave um, for Gallipoli. They've basically just been told that that's where they're going and they were going to go to lemnos which is a greek island i think um i I remember it from assassin's creed odyssey so i'm gonna say greek uh (laughs) that's that's (laughs) my reference material here um but yeah so they're going to they're going to lemnos um basically to to go and land at gallipoli um and again just for a reminder the the idea was that the um the British um, would attack Cape Hellas, which is in the southern peninsula, or the southern of the peninsula, um, and the uh, Anzacs would attack about, I think it was a few k's up, um, at a place called Gabatepi, if I remember rightly. Um, and the French would attack on the other side of the strait as a diversionary distraction kind of uh, thing to try and lure some of the forces away, or some of the Ottoman forces away. Um, but as we will see, not all goes as planned. Um, so the ride over to Lemnos was actually a bit of a shambles because there was no escort, not enough lifeboats, and men were forced to live off rations due to not enough food, which is um not super good. Not enough
2: lifeboats,
0: where else do we see this? Well, who would have thought not enough lifeboats on ships was a bad thing? Who could have guessed?
2: God damn it. It's almost <laughs> like history doesn't teach us shit, because that would have been after the Titanic.
0: <laughs> Correct, yeah. And it's almost... Um, the the other thing as well is that at least for the... This was at least for the Kiwis. Um, the Aussies were actually given better provisions for some reason. Um, so actually it was the Kiwis that was slightly getting shafted here. Um, and despite all of this, thankfully they did uh make it to lemnos relatively unscathed and malone notes that he was glad to see other european faces again um because of course if you remember he's a he's just a bit just a bit racist um so and just a tad um so in mid april of uh, again this is 1915 Um, Malone and other senior officers were now informed of the plan to land at Hellas and Gallipoli. So this is when they were officially told what was going to happen and how they were going to go about it. And the MEF commanders, who are the Mediterranean Expeditionary Force, the commanders had determined that the ANZACs would be given the easiest part of the landing, as they were seen as not fully trained and had a reputation for being undisciplined and hard to lead. Now how much of this is actually true versus that kind of British uh, sentiment of, well, the colonials and the dominions are just a bit, you know, a bit rowdy and a bit below us, kind of that classism stuff. It's hard to tell. Um, there's potentially a slight element of, of truth in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we've seen, Malone's forces, or the Wellingtons in particular, were some likely some of the most well-trained men um, in the entire um New Zealand Infantry uh, Division, um, and so their objectives was to capture Sari Bair and Kilid Bar, a couple of ridges in the region, so called, uh, ridge lines, um, re- which relied on the fact that the Turks wouldn't expect an attack into such rugged and difficult terrain. Which I fairly <laughs> certain historically, relying on the fact that the enemy doesn't think you're coming because it's a shit idea to attack that region, it usually doesn't work <laughs> out that well. So,
1: Please see the mountain regions of Afghanistan through all of human history.
0: Exactly. It's the same sort of idea. So, But that's what they were relying on. So this reliance on a rather flimsy assumption was countered by uh, Hamilton's intelligence that the defending Ottomans were badly equipped Inefficient and had low morale due to successive defeats. Now, if you don't remember, Hamilton is the um, head commander of; he's the head general of the Mediterranean Expeditionary Force, and it We also see last time uh, the, this is that continuation of they think the Ottomans are a lot less prepared and a lot less organised than they perhaps actually are. The final report suggested that though there may be quote energetic resistance end quote to the initial landings, the Turks would potentially crumble once they were once the ANZACS were established. So, again, kind of still thinking that it's not going to be too big of a deal to try and smash these guys. That kind of was the problem, though. Getting safely on shore was actually reasonably difficult um because the 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 thing is at this time, uh, amphibious assaults are generally very difficult. um even more so because at this point, of course, d day hadn't happened. so this attack at this point in history was the largest amphibious assault ever conducted, um up until of course d day, which was significantly larger. It so had already a
2: bit better of an allied advantage
0: slightly. Yeah, exactly. And D-Day had a lot more going for it than it did, than this did here. Um, oh,
2: yes. Counterintelligence, for one, because they had a lot hmm. better information and not to mention disinformation that they were propagating exactly. against the enemy. So that would I be, in my opinion, that's what makes these two campaigns most different,
0: hmm. is
2: that there was a lot more intelligence work being done behind the scenes to like verify more details and accuracy. But yep. one could argue that, well, they may have learned after Gallipoli,
0: hopefully. I mean. Potentially. Yeah, maybe. I mean, yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty but <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, so it is. Um, so, you know, they were already dealing with, like, quite a large, uh, difficult thing to do just from the outset when you ignore kind of even the, the the other contributing factors from where they were doing it and who they were facing and that kind of stuff. Uh, as well. Um, So, Birdwood, um, who was the commander of the Anzacs, advised his men to conserve water, food, and ammo, as it would be difficult to resupply them due to the terrain. Plus, the fact that it was an uh, amphibious landing, as we mentioned, and all the challenges that come with that. Especially, when the opposing Ottoman forces were arranged to repel exactly this kind of landing. Which was... um, Later kind of blamed on the fact that, um, if you remember from last time, there were some attempts to try and get through the strait by shelling the forts and that kind of stuff. Um, That kind of alerted to the Ottomans that something was going on and something was potentially coming. Um, Even though at that point there wasn't, they rearranged their forces in such a way on the kind of prediction that the Allies may end up trying to make a landing, which of course they did. Um, So on the 17th of April, senior commanders were advised to expect to land under fire, and each man had to carry enough beef and biscuits to last three days. But they weren't to carry blankets or ground sheets. So the kind of things that if you were going to try and have a nap, uh, that's what you'd be wanting. Um, So again... Adding to this extra layer of amphibious assaults are already really difficult. By the way, you're going to have to do it while you're getting shot at and also carrying enough gear to last for three days. That's, that's rough <laughs> by any I, I'm any out. Standards. I would have passed it out in
2: Egypt or something, honestly.
0: Like... Yeah. <laughs> the other thing as well was that water was likely to be scarce, so drinking from, drinking from water bottles was to be restricted as well. Um, thankfully for the kiwis um, they would go to gallipoli well supplied with 200 rounds of ammunition an oil sheet extra food and iron rations and some firewood which would total 35 kgs or 77 pounds so really heavy yeah especially when you're having to jump into the water um, because of course you wouldn't get all the way to the beach to um on your boat you know you'd get dumped probably in like waste depth Water. So, of course, you're getting slightly heavier by your clothes just absorbing all that water. Um, plus, you're getting shot at. Plus, you know, um, you have to run all the way to the beach and get all the way up there. And it's just horrific. So, Malone <laughs> also arranged for the platoon commanders to be issued with morphia tablets, which is the old term for morphine, um, to help relieve wounded men of pain and a pound of raisins for every man. Um, so, you know, unless you got. Got some raisins. It's, you got a snack. Right. Got a snack. You
2: can got the
1: worst fun? part of the trail mix. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, I would argue the best part.
1: Mmm.
2: Yeah, guess. Mix.
1: I'm a fan of nuts, Carol. What can I say?
2: Shocking. Like, That's like the least shocking nuts. thing in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one thing I was thinking about: Does Malone's like bathroom obsession like come to play? Like, his obsession with, like, hygiene and, like, making sure he monitors where people shit. But
1: I was going to say, I guarantee you there's something that when they were talking about the Turks preparedness, he was like, plus, I cannot imagine the state of their latrines. I mean, we're going to win on that basis alone. We're going to get up there.
2: Can I just say, I just thought of something I would hate to be shot while shitting. Like, that's undignified. <laughs> like, honestly. Like, that's the It worst would be video. the worst.
0: Yeah. Um, they do. I believe they do have reports that that did actually happen at Gallipoli because of the way that some of the <sighs> bases were arranged and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so it's not it's not out of the question, um, from what I understand. Um, so with all of this, uh, Malone was confident his men would last five days without resupply, um, at which point they would be in control of the peninsula to the point where supplies could be landed safely. So they thought everything was going to be tickety-boo and it'd be fine. As expected, uh, Malone and the Anzacs had also begun training for this landing by doing drills with rope and ladders, rowing, and and that kind of stuff. And that all happened on Lemnos. Um, And by this point, um, Ida, who was Malone's wife... Um, was now in England with their younger children and sent Malone uh, some lavender, which he kept in, in his um, identity locket, which was a little locket that you could open up and had a picture of um, his wife in it. Um, he not returned to... the gesture. Sorry?
2: Oh, I just want to ask, is that somewhat like an identifying thing? So if somebody can find somebody's body? Uh,
0: I'm not a... quite sure, actually. Um, I remember my mum had one. Um, that she had a picture of me and my brother in it, so that clearly was not in case she died, and then someone was like, "Oh." So
2: it's more just like a support. locket, like a tone, like a token of.
0: Yeah, just like it, you can open it up and it's got someone's picture in it. Um, okay, that's it's, awesome. It's a yeah, more of like a sentimental thing than anything else. Um, and he returned the gesture by sending back some flowers he picked on Lemnos, writing, quote, I picked them for you thinking how lovely it would be if only you were with me, end quote. So, you know, Probably not nuts. there. Uh-huh.
1: This guy, I tell you this, what, I bounce this back guy. and forth this, and this guy. Go from blatant and horrible racism to, like, truly like romantic. Ugh. Gestures
2: he, on he is Tinder. a... Do you swipe right or yes to that?
0: Oh, well, I mean... I don't know if I, I don't know if I would swipe right on Malone. I'm not going to lie. I think that's I think that's a left for me.
1: And I, I don't, don't know how Tinder works, L. so I don't understand that question.
2: I think he's, it's a hard
0: it's, L, but Yeah. I think it's I think it's a uh, it, 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 it's too he's too intense for me. You know, I I that's prefer That's true. I wouldn't
2: like the whole sleeping on a mat thing because that doesn't yeah. exactly scream intimacy to me, but <laughs> exactly. you know.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, don't worry, love. I'm just gonna go sleep on the floor because I can. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, I'm just that hard, but not that Sarah,
0: hard. I'm Look, that I'm gonna hard, prove to you I how really tough I am, by sleeping on the fun. floor.
1: Sleeping
2: on a fucking cot, even though I
0: this
1: is how prepared I am for a war that hasn't come
0: yet. Watch. I even mean, he's like, he's always on his case about like where you're shitting, and you're like, just like in the toilet, man, just. Just, and he's just like on your case all the time about it and uh no i think it would just be awful i think it'd be yeah, really bad he's worse
2: it than would that be that sneaks up on you in the bathroom he's just like a person that does it which is yeah. worse
0: he's like you're like on the toilet you know like reading the newspaper and he just comes in and goes <laughs> bang and you're like Ugh! and he's like i could have got you <laughs>
1: oh he's always digging up your garden what are you doing honey i'm just practicing my uh latrine construction look honey good. look look oh yeah. god
0: but he like he like he's like look i'll show you like look how good it is he just like drops his decks and, like, <laughs> <it's> horribly, <laughs> <geometrically> enabled.
1: <laughs> now watch me bury it Look at me in my eyes while I do it. <laughs> it's like a dog. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't want to be married to him either. There's not enough flowers in the world. Oh, no. Oh, anyway. He's outside. There's not oh, enough flowers God. in the
0: world. That's amazing. No, There's just... no flowers that's going to make this shit smell good. <laughs> 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 oh. I'm not anyway. sure I'll be up Shits
2: Creek with Malone in any case, regardless if he's making Shits uh, Creek.
0: See, I would I wouldn't mind being up Shit Creek with Malone. I think <laughs> it'd be fine. It's just like if I had to live with him, like or something like that, I don't think I'd be into that, you know. Um So yeah, so on the twenty fourth of April um, which is the day before the landings. Senior officers were called into Godley's quarters uh, for another briefing to go over the final details. And again, remember, Godley is the commandant <laughs> of the New Zealand forces. You're right there.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I'm still just giggling. It. I was thinking it. It. Is, I'm so sorry. I apologize. That wasn't funny, but I'm I'm laughing from earlier. Okay.
0: Okay. I so... got it
1: together. I'm sorry.
0: You Do You need a minute.
2: I got it. I got it. <laughs> that's always what my teachers did to me if I was giggling. You need a minute. And that was like more personally embarrassing. Yeah, <laughs> that just wow. makes you laugh
0: more.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that just made me laugh more usually. And that's the problem. Yeah.
0: So prior to this, uh, Malone was told he would be commanding the New Zealand Infantry Brigade uh, due, to, due to Brigadier Earl Johnston being sick in Alexandria. Again, this is another man that we haven't met yet. You need to write this one down. He is the, uh, if you're binge listening to this, he is the man that I said we hadn't met yet that is isn't that point, um, leader of the infantry, New Zealand Infantry Brigade. Um, so he was sick in Alexandria. During this meeting, though, he was told that Birdwood himself had chosen another, which was General General Harold Walker, to take his place. And this was hardly surprising, as Walker was more senior. He was a general versus uh, Malone's lieutenant colonel, um, and he was a British regular. So he was actually a British soldier. Malone, of course, was a territorial officer. He was a colonial. And thus far, he actually hadn't seen any actual combat yet, apart from that brief kind of skirmish Um, back in Egypt. Um, So they didn't really think he was a good fit. Um, In any case, the men were rearing to go, and Hamilton issued this statement. Quote, soldiers of France and of the king, before us lies an adventure unprecedented in modern war. Together with our comrades of the fleet, we are about to force a landing upon an open beach in face of positions which have been vaunted by our enemies as impregnable the landing will be made good by the help of God and the Navy. The position stormed and the war brought one step nearer to a glorious close, end quote. How absolutely fucking wrong he was, um, is all I have to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So on the 25th of April 1915 which is Today's modern Anzac day The invasion began And from the get go it turned To fucking custard So at 3.30am Due to a series of navigational errors The first group made up of Aussies Landed 2 kilometers north of their Intended position A place that would later be known And is now known as Anzac Cove So they didn't even land at the correct Spot Their initial Ugh. landing was chosen because the surrounding land was flat and easy to navigate. But, but Anzac Cope, exactly, was hilly Was hilly with gullies and valleys. It was virtually the worst place they could have landed. In particular, the beach itself was narrow, which is about 35 meters wide and 400 meters long, which is about 80, 82 foot by 1300 foot. So it's not very big at all. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's facing hills all around, which was perfect for a defending army to just sit there and try to pick them off. Yeah.
2: Like Call of Duty style, honestly. Plus, like they're thing. literally yeah.
1: funneled into a channel so that they're all grouped together like sheep. Even easier to pick off. Fantastic.
0: Exactly. Uh, what I'll also do here, actually, is I'll send you guys a, um, a picture to kind of give you an idea of what we're actually looking at. Um... So if I can send this... I'll send this through Twitter. Because um, unfortunately, I don't have access to something that I really wanted, which was the... Uh, to Papa has these really, really good um, uh, 3D models that you can see where everything is and that kind of stuff. And it shows you a really good aspect of where... You know, like how bad this really was. But I think this picture... if You'll you have to scroll down a bit. Um, it says holding the line on the picture... But it's, it shows you a bit, quite, fairly well, I think, kind of what they were dealing with. Have you guys found it? By the way,
1: yeah. By the way, listeners, Thomas has set the new standard for guests. He's literally brought maps, graphs, and charts.
0: Well, I think... I think so
1: I know the, exactly.
0: The, the reason I wanted to do it is because oh. the, the, the terrain and where everything is is so critical to how awful this went. Um, and it, it is hard to appreciate what they were trying to, what they were up against and why it was so bad without actually being able to kind of see some of these maps and some of these, um, uh, these positions. Um, I'll see. Yeah, you guys that's another.
1: absolutely true. Now that I'm looking at it. Yeah.
0: I'll, I sh- can I'll see, see you another one as well. Actually, no, I'll save that one for later because that's a bit more important for later. Um but yeah, it's it's yeah, some of the 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 terrain of this um more so than a lot of different um a lot of other battles and that kind of stuff um throughout history, the, the, the terrain of this particular campaign is extremely important for why this actually went as bad as it did.
2: Okay.
0: Um, so adding to the blunder was that the Aussies pushed further inland and quickly lost contact with each other, making it easy to pick them off um, kind of one by one, as they had no cover from artillery. Uh, Their officers also quite rapidly were picked off, so there was a lot of disorganization. and They faced fierce Ottoman counterattacks. But they did what they could, and they tried to hunker down in the gullies or head back to the beach, some more successfully than others. Malone wouldn't learn of this until they reached the planned landing site and had to continue further north, where they were greeted with Turkish artillery fire from the nearby forts, which in turn were being shelled by the British Navy. They would also see men climbing up the hills and spurs further up the beach. Again, the, the Aussies landed at roughly 3.30, 4am, so this is really, really early. Despite these setbacks, things had gone kind of well. By 6 a.m., the Aussies controlled the first two major ridges they needed to, and by 7 a.m., small groups were reaching the third. At this point, 4,000 Aussies were ashore facing about 700 Turks. You don't have to be good at math to realise that that's pretty good. The problem with the <laughs> terrain. <laughs> the problem with the terrain <laughs> is, of course, 700 Turks could hold that terrain easier than 4,000 Aussies could, ta- could try and take it off them. This would change by about 10 a.m. as the Turkish 19th Division of the 5th Army was closing in on them, pushing the Mm advance parties back. Now, the fact that it was this particular army is not super important. You don't have to remember that. This division was probably most notable for its commander, the soon-to-be Field Marshal Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the future founder of the Turkish Republic, or the modern Turkish Republic. He does. Well, he, he sort of comes up later in, in this. He's obviously, he's the main kind of commander against, um, you know, that, that basically godly Birdwood and all the others are trying to, um, you know, outwit effectively. Um, and of course, he, he's, as mentioned, extremely important in the general history of, of Turkey, it's particularly modern Turkey. So by 3 p.m., Aratorik had pushed the Aussies back to the high f- uh, front of Monash Valley, which I'm not sure if that's on the map that I just sent you. Um, oh, Monash Gully. It's labelled as Monash Gully there. So you can see that they're at the kind of ridge um, on that map of where Monash Gully is. Um Place. Oh, yes, so, and this was near to the soon-to-be-famous Courtney's Post, which you can also see on that map. So by 5 p.m., which is when the Wellingtons landed, the Anzacs were being driven into the sea. It was going horribly at this oh. point.
2: Yeah, because there's nowhere to go. The problem is, like, they're trying to seize territory, but, like, if they're yep. pushing back, they're just put, they're pushing you back into the sea.
0: Exactly. This is one of the big problems with why amphibious assaults are generally really, really hard to pull off is because you need to establish a beachhead in a secure position um so that you don't, you know, have basically get driven into the sea because if that happens, there's nowhere for you to go. You're just gonna get picked off. Um, well not to
2: mention at this point they wouldn't easily have anything like covering fire. Like this is yep. before aerial warfare takes like I mean there is to an extent aerial warfare in World War One, but it's not to the extent of like World War Two. Where you could mm. easily have, like, aerial coverage, like, bombing away. Like, yeah. kind of distracting from the the people, like, climbing out of the beach. But, man, they're basically, yeah. like, they're being picked off like chickens.
0: Yeah, pretty much. They are just, it's gone awful at this point.
2: And
1: for our listeners who know nothing about military warfare, I mean, you don't have to really know that to understand if you... <laughs> what an advantage the high ground is. And in this case,
0: not only do they have have the high high ground, Uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) not only do they have the high ground, they have all the rest of the terrain working in their favor.
0: And and, and on top of that as well, um, you know, this is, this is the Ottomans home turf. Um, You know, this is Azatürk homes, his home turf. So, They have the advantage of knowing the terrain better. They're they're used to the, you know, the hills and the valleys and the gullies. They're used to the heat, which is going to become a really big factor later on. Um, And and, and just generally, if it's your own home turf, you have the will and the drive to protect it more than someone who's trying to take it off you. You just, there's just that extra kind of mental kind of factor on top of that. Um, you know, that they just, it, yeah, it adds the level of willpower that you are willing to hold your ground probably longer than someone else would be willing to.
1: And they've always kind of had a land, the Ottomans always had a land pirate sort of fighting style anyway. Like, it's not a lot, if they've got the advantage, it's not something you want to just blunder into, even at this point in history.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. They've
1: been at it a while.
0: They've been at it a while, yeah, <laughs> so Malone speaks of the landing in his diary, naturally, um, and he talks about the travel from Lemnos to be, quote, a lovely calm and, in nature, a peaceful day, end quote. Uh, though this was somewhat con- contrasted by the Queen Elizabeth, which was a um, a warship, um, the Queen Elizabeth's guns heard some distance away as it bombarded the peninsula. He also describes how he went past Cape Hellas, and he watched the landing that he would be helping further along the coast. Um, He notes that the Ottoman defences seem strong, despite the shelling, but it wasn't until they got to Gabatepi, which was their intended landing site, that they found out the army had actually begun the landing further north. And he comments that the landing, quote, had been most gallantly, nay, recklessly carried out, end quote. Um, Which, it's vaguely unclear there, but he's, he's... He's quite negative in that quote, saying it's not very good. Um, he lambasts the Aussies for pushing too far inland instead of digging in when their position was secured, especially since he thinks the Ottomans had been surprised and only had 500 men defending the area, which he was roughly correct in in saying that. Um, and so, so if they hadn't limited...
1: pushed that. Their... Wait a minute. So my question is if they hadn't pushed the advance, in other words, is mm. what he's saying, and they'd have gone ahead and dug in, they would have okay. Got they it. would, so got they got
0: would have done better. Yeah. He thinks that they right. you know, it was a bridge <laughs> too far kind of thing. They they pushed their they pushed their luck just that little bit too much, um, so that the Ottomans could could um counterattack and, and push them right. back. Okay. So he thinks they should have just stopped where they were when they were doing pretty well and just held that position, which and again, in hindsight, sounds pretty good, right? The objective of the landing really should have been trying to get your men ashore so that you could secure positions and then push forth from that. So, but again, that's me as an armchair general sitting here, you know, over a hundred years later saying, maybe you shouldn't have done that. So, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean much. Um oh. So first off the boat were Malone and his HQ staff. um, So the staff that helped him run basically his battalion along with the machine gunners, the signalers and stretcher bearers as columns of water erupted next to them from artillery fire that was coming from the Ottomans Malone himself actually being slightly wounded in the neck from either shrapnel or a bullet. He mentions that despite what he called, um, he mentions that hang on, what have I written there? Okay, I'm not sure what I've written there. But he mentions that despite them being shot at as they rode in, uh, not many of them actually got hit. So that was really Mm. good. Uh, He basically describes that it was chaos. Uh, Just generally the landing was chaos. Between all the men, the Ottoman fire, the sea, pack animals, and everything that they were carrying, saying, quote, there didn't seem to be much organisation on the shore. In fact, it was disorganisation. We evidently haven't got a Kitchener about, end quote. Kitchener, of course, being the um, Secretary of War um, at this stage, and he was um, well known for his organisation, or at least Malone kind of idolised him for his organisation. He then goes on to lament how the British officers, like Birdwood and Godley, were good at planning and made these landings look good on paper, but those tasked with actually carrying them out weren't as good um again something that we're kind of going to see as we go it also seems like malone contacted birdwood and godley because he was annoyed that only a quarter of his battalion m- making up half a company out of the total 3 that he had were still in the ships and malone blames the navy, navy for this somewhat so he didn't have very many of his men on shore
2: would this have been be... a signal like would this have been an Sorry? intelligence uh, would this have been an intelligence or communication failure do you think
0: Or it's hard to tell,
2: basically, been a way to communicate that.
0: Um, from what I understand, Malone was actually on a different ship compared to most of his men. Um, so it potentially was a communication error between the ships, um, or a logistical error perhaps in the planning. It's kind of hard to tell. Um, but yeah, it sounds like, yeah, Malone wasn't on the same ship so when he got off he got off with all the guys that he had and that just wasn't enough basically um so it wouldn't be until midnight that another one and a half companies would be disembarked in order to ho- order to hold the ridge above the beach without any tools as these were with the other company that was still at sea so the in tools being specifically the entrenching tools which is effectively like a small spade pickaxe kind of um half thing um that you use to dig trenches um as well as of course all the other things they need
1: this sounds like invasionary planning and like zero logistics went into it which again yeah. like i know we're gonna talk about not great field commanders but so, so it begins i feel like it's going so it through my head
0: yeah God. pretty much Shit. um so so it- It seems Malone Hmm. predicted this somewhat and had asked for these men to be shifted so that he could be more independent and flexible upon landing, but this was shot down by his superiors. So, again, not very good upper ranks, essentially. However, Malone sent his HQ detail to collect what they could from the beach, which allowed them to get what they needed and able to dig into the ridge. Um, This was mostly, from what I understand, taken from people who had already died. So, so that's, that's, that's something, at least. Um, so at this point, men, mules, horses, ammo, and all sorts of other equipment covered the beach. Medical staff already treating, treating hundreds of Aussies that had landed, trying to treat them under continuous machine gun and artillery fire from the Turks. All as reinforcements were streaming onto the beach, continuously, pretty much. In fact, at this point, two smaller craft full of Aussies had been totally wiped out by machine gun emplacements as they tried to get to shore, with 40 others waiting on the beach to be buried, and already there were shallow graves with biscuit tin boards covering the sand. If you have not got it at this point, it's all going to shit. Fuck. <laughs> by all accounts, it was a bloodbath and a shit show. Malone immediately ordered his men to support the 16th Australian Battalion, the ones engaged near Courtney's post. Under heavy rifle fire and machine gun fire, they reached the Aussies and dug in with their fellow Anzacs, basically holding on for dear life at this point. They managed to stop the Ottomans at this point, which was vital in the defence of the Anzac position, with 15 Wellingtons dead and 19 wounded. This was... This was the kind of position that, if they were overrun, the whole landing would have just gone tits up, and they definitely would have gone into the sea. Malone would later note that this this was a quote serious avoidable loss end quote and was probably the first combat related issue he had with his superiors, but of course it would not be the last. Additionally, this frantic scramble up the hill caused his men to accidentally get mixed with other battle groups, causing confusion. Like. Yeah, which is not good. The fighting was brutal and no quarter was given. Waves of Turks were coming at them over the dead bodies, with whole units cut off and men fighting hand to hand in some cases, which is extremely. Jesus
1: Christ.
0: So it's it's getting violent and it's getting shitty right from the get go. So the landing had started at about 3 a.m. on the 25th of April. By 7pm, 17 hours later, senior ANZAC commanders were discussing evacuation for fear of a major counterattack the next morning. At 11.15pm, Godley and other senior commanders asked Birdwood, who was still on a Navy vessel, to come ashore and discuss the proposal. He reluctantly agrees and sends an evac request to Hamilton, who is currently on board the HMS Queen Elizabeth the same ship Malone saw hammering the Ottoman position sometime earlier. Hamilton discusses this with his Navy commanders and ultimately denies the request and orders the Anzacs to dig in and hold whatever little they have gained, saying, quote, you have got through the difficult business. All you have to do now is dig, dig, dig until you're safe. End quote.
1: Okay, there's our cannon fodder from the last episode. Yeah, all of our listens or listeners will remember human material right there oh yeah. god i just got sick to my stomach that is
0: it's just and a... so much
1: for a gentleman's war people are fighting hand-to-hand combat style yeah it's yeah. a real gentleman's yeah. war people
0: are effectively stabbing each other with bayonets and clubbing each other with rocks at this point that is that is where yeah. this has gone at the minute um oh. and, and the quote really just kind of Reads to me like a man who is just has no grasp of the situation at hand, which, in fairness, he shouldn't, because he's he's virtually on the other side of the peninsula. He is miles away from the situation. But I I, I feel like if your commander is you know the guy beneath you was saying it's all gone to shit, I think we should get out. That's something that maybe he should have slightly more seriously considered. But. But, of course, he's, he's looking at the, the whole thing from a position of he's not just got the Anzac guys at Gallipoli. He's also got the guys in Hellas, and he's got the French across the strait. So, you know, it's hard to get into a mind of, of mm-hmm. what he was thinking at the time based on the information that he had as well. Because, of course, again, we're coming at this from basically having virtually all the information, whereas he's only got right. what he's got at the time. Malone actually mentions this kind of event in his diary, saying, quote, In the night of Sunday, which is the 25th of April, I know there were some questions among the generals of our having to re-embark, so having to evacuate. Personally, I could see nothing to require it, end quote. So as much as I think, wow, Hamilton maybe should have considered that that um, position a bit better, We have said Malone seems to be quite right a lot of the time. And if he's saying we shouldn't get out, I mean, maybe there's something in it. I don't know, but he's, he's saying it's fine. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Because again, this is like, no matter what you think of him personally, I generally trust his judgment as long as, you know, we're not at sea on the land though. (laughs) He knows what he's about, so, yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, sure. All right. So Malone then requests to take his men down the hill, remembering that they're currently still at the top. Um, as it seemed obvious, there were too many on the crest already, and that request was approved, uh, only for them to get an order once they got settled in their dugouts that they needed to go back to their original position. This time, the order came directly from Birdwood. Malone quipping, quote, we had been up the hill and now down again. Still, we are all philosophers now. End quote. So he was... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, Malone talks about how he calls a quote-unquote rather amusing incident where he was going along the beach close to the cliffs when the, where the men were sleeping, likely after the chaos of the initial landing. He was asking who everyone was so he could help reorganize the units that had been split up and at one point he found Birdwood and Godley, along with their staff, sleeping with a bunch of picks and shovels. Malone took these and sent them up to his men to help them. And by the morning, <laughs> the rest of the Wellingtons had landed. So, you know, Birdwood and Godley were slacking off at this point. Um, but again, in fairness, Well, they're, they're gentlemen
1: done a lot. <laughs> and they were Yeah, but they're also gentlemen and they're quite tired, and this is a gentleman's work.
0: Quite tired, exactly. You know, you to have you know, you got to have a tea and a Milo, or a nap and a Milo in the afternoon. You know, it's um, you know, it's hard work, hard, very hard work.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to say sneaking along the ridge, testing out his poor man's preparedness or something. I <laughs> yeah. can see that bastard doing that.
0: He might do, gotcha. yeah. Um, so uh. he talks about uh, being ordered to advance and report to a general that an officer not knowing what to do with the blah, report to a general. Um, who had basically no idea what to do with them, and how pretty much this whole time the ships and howitzers were hammering the Ottoman position along with rifle fire, quote-unquote endless fighting with a flurry of activity at the beach as the Ottomans returned fire with artillery while boats ferried men and supplies. So it was all, even though the chaos of kind of the initial landing had quieted down, there was still, um, you know, kind of a lot going on. They were still being shelled and shot at and everything else. Um, A lot of Malone's diary talks about how disorganized and senseless the whole thing was, saying in regards to various battles that, quote, they were being sent to chaos and slaughter, nay, murder, end quote, and lamenting at the incompetence of his superiors, quote, he didn't know and knew nothing, had no defensive position, no plan, nothing but a murderous notion that the only thing to do was to plunge troops out of the neck of the ridge into the jungle beyond. End quote. Now, this particular quote was in reference to the fact that a colonel by the name of Braund, who was an Australian, um, whom Malone had to help reinforce on the 26th of April, so he was that guy that they um, didn't really know, he didn't really know what he was doing. Um, he had chosen a shitty position in a valley where the Ottomans had an excellent position to pick them off while lying down and not being seen. A couple of majors realised kind of what was going on here, um, and they uh, told the rest of them to dig in to ensure that they just didn't die, basically. Braund then came and ordered them to keep going into the jungle. The the platoon commanders protested, but he pulled rank. He basically said, I am higher rank than you. Um, You will do as I say. So they continued on. Malone seems to think that they were killed and was incensed by this as they were Wellingtons that were killed and Malone knows that they were trying to do the right thing. Possibly because he had taught them how to do that. So he was very, very annoyed. So he manages to convince Braund to change his positioning at least a little. Um, After stretches started coming back and the medics got overwhelmed, Braund ordered him to send more reinforcements. And at this point, Malone refuses. Braun replies to him, uh, or Braun replies that since Malone wouldn't do it, he would have to return to his first position. Malone tells him, quote, he never ought to have left it, end quote. Basically saying, you absolute Um, fuck.
1: (laughs) I'm fucking back on his side, 110%. Yep, Yep, he's won me back. Like, no, (laughs) fuck you, marshal me later.
0: Yep. So Braun came to see Malone after this in person and admitted after being asked what the fuck he was up to that he was afraid that if he didn't keep going, he, his men would run away. Malone was unimpressed saying that it was no reason to sacrifice his men. Oh, uh, see,
1: now I'm fully back on side. He's won me back.
0: Um, so yeah, so th- this is what we're going to see quite a lot of is, um, is Malone fighting against or, you know, verbally fighting against um, superiors and his other kind of fellow officers. Malone actually does mention his own harshness on occasion too, saying, quote, we struck lots of Australians who hadn't moved. I ordered them up and drove them ahead, pelting the leading ones on the track when they stopped with stones and putting my toe in the rear ones, end quote. So he was a a harsh taskmaster.
1: But in a way, you've got to keep moving though. I mean, because yep. they're eventually going to key in on you. Like, I, I see that there's a lot of sense that you've got to keep moving. You can't just sit. Oh, shit. Never mind. I'm kind of back in this guy's light like, corner. This is his time to shine because he clearly knows what the fuck he's doing and, like, most everyone else.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that isn't to say that Malone didn't have a soft spot, though, especially for his Wellingtons. In the battle mm-hmm. I just talked about, About 450 Wellingtons were engaged in fighting. 45 were killed and 150 wounded in the first hour of
1: action. Oh my god!
0: Which is, for those of you doing the math at home, that's a casualty rate of 43% in the first hour. He lost nearly half his men in the first hour of fighting. Um, And the kind of The worst, almost the worst part of this is that the men who were dead and injured were left on the track due to a a lack of stretches. So they couldn't do Uh, anything with them. Yeah. It's only going to get worse from here. Um, All right. So these were primarily from the West Coast and Ruahine companies of the Wellington Battalion, which Braun had taken over command of and thrown them at the Turks with apparently no plan at all. But Malone says, quote, They were all very brave, no cries or even groans. One man kept saying, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, in a low voice. Many greeted me cheerfully. Well, Colonel, I've got it, many smiled. My men are wonderful. The world never saw better, better men, or braver, I am sure, end quote. So he did did think quite highly of them as well. And this skirmish, which lasted most of the day of the 26th, involved bayonet charges, which incurred heavy casualties, and clearly showed that the high command hadn't have any idea that charges didn't work against entrenched positions. There is a quote that comes out of um, Gallipoli as well um, that basically—I don't sure who it's from—but it basically says that the commanders seem to have not gotten the memo of the machine gun being invented between the Boer War and World War I. And there's no other place in kind of World War I at all that that shows that it is Gallipoli. Because it's just horrific that they're just throwing men, and the Ottomans are just mowing them down with their machine guns in their entrenched positions.
1: Well, I'm starting to think the only... Uh man that's read anything about the russo japanese war might be Malone himself <laughs> like that may be the only mm. person who's done the uh the reading and the mechanization of warfare i suppose so oh yep. my god you're right this is and I know it's gonna get worse, and I'm not Woo! I've yep. already gotten a little uh it's gotten rough okay it's
0: it's it's, it's gotten rough
1: buckle up buttercups
0: but if, it's gonna get worse in here yeah. So, Braund asked Malone for ammo, which he refused, and said he would need authorization from his commanders. Malone then requested the Aussies be pulled back entirely and let the Kiwis lead the offensive as he thought they were, quote, a source of weakness, end quote. (sighs) I mean, alright. Though, he later admitted this may have been due to their best men being killed already in the case of one brigade that was pulled off the ridge. So... It may have been for reasons outside of their control. Um, Uh Despite his hatred of Braun for basically being an idiot, he did say that he was, quote, a brave chap, end quote, for trying to hold it all together, but he should be court-martialed for his incompetence. So... (laughs) There's that.
1: So basically, like your spirit, but your fucking putts, like, piss off back down the hill, I got this.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um... Malone now dug him and his men in and tried to get some sleep, though the Ottomans kept up their barrage of rifle, machine gun, and artillery fire all night. And this is basically how it would go, is that the each side would shell each other continuously basically every night for the next, I think it's about four months, or even more than that, closer to six months. Snipers but, would also, So the
1: sound never stops. The and sound
0: it, never stops. Sometimes it's far away, sometimes it's closer, but the shelling virtually (gasps) never stops. It's pretty much continuous for the next, uh, well, it's in April, and this campaign lasts until December, so whatever the math is on that, it's actually nearly a whole year. Fuck me. So, snipers would also harass people carrying water, food, or ammo during the day, which killed quite a lot of them. Um, and Malone organised a team of the best shots of the Wellingtons to counter them. On the 28th of April, the half-deaf Brond nearly failed... Oh, sorry, the half-deaf Brond failed to hear a sentry's call and was shot dead by the very same sniper fire. Uh,
1: well, let's see who replaces him first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not super relevant who replaces him, but... Um, it kind of, it Braund is it more to kind of show yeah. you what kind of what's really going to happen and how Malone kind of conducts himself with his other officers and that kind of stuff.
1: I didn't even consider we're about to get into huge supply line problems. God.
0: Yeah. yeah. So the, the kind of interesting thing about the place where Braun was killed, Malone actually would have a close call in the same spot a few days later. Um, so there was that as well. And Malone was impressed in himself that he was calm under fire, something he hadn't expected of himself. He actually thought he was going to be a bit more panicky than he was. Um, but clearly his kind of self-determination and the, the training that he had done um, had really prepared him uh, quite well.
1: Well, um, yeah. So, I mean, he started a good 15 years before the war kicked off. So, exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. it paid off. Good for it him. paid
0: off. It was worth it. And so overall, if you hadn't got the kind of idea yet, the situation was pretty bleak. Um, By the end of the day of the 25th, so that's the day of the initial landings, 26,000 soldiers were ashore, 3,000 of which were Kiwis. By the end of the 26th, the Anzacs had been pushed back to a line of outposts on the second ridge called Russell's Top. And Courtney's post, Quinn's post, and Steele's post. Again, I'm pretty sure um, on the map. Yes, all of those um, are shown on the map um, that I've sent you guys as well. If you need a reference,
1: so just the second ridge.
0: Yeah. So this Fuck. line would not move for the next <sighs> three months. They would be here for the in this exact position for three months, and so. The original plan for the landings had failed. There was That was unequivocally, there was no two, two ways about it, the landings had failed in their initial objectives. Despite this, Birdwood's intel said that the Ottomans were in bad shape. Istanbul was overrun with wounded, hospitals were full, the men were demoralized and exhausted. Not that the ANZAC numbers were that great either, with 400 officers and over eighty eight thousand five hundred men lost, 2,650 of which were killed. All in the span of about two or three days.
2: What do
1: evacuations even look like at this point? Well, I guess <laughs> not great.
0: Not great. Like for no. the
1: wounded. Yeah, no. Ugh, fuck. That's even, Shit's fucked. Oh,
0: shit is so bad.
1: And as bad as, like, the trench, I'm going to have to put this map in our show notes, definitely, Mm. because I just, I want people to think about as bad as trench warfare or the idea of it is on the rather flat western front, when you Mm. look at this map and think about the realities here, you're just going to want to, like, throw up for lack of a, especially if you look at this, and then you take everything you've just said into that context and like bayonet. Yeah. Oh my God, hand to hand. Oh, it's, yeah, it's awesome.
0: Um, I consider myself to be a fairly stoic kind of man. Um, and th- th- this kind of stuff, and it only gets worse from here. I found this stuff genuinely distressing. Um, it's I was going to
1: say, I host no. this show and find this. Yeah genuinely rough in 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 some of the roughest stuff when you really stop to think about it in terms of everything we've talked about yeah
0: oh it is yeah it did it's hard to get across like like there's stuff that i haven't included in this as well just for for sake of brevity yeah and it's it's really difficult to get across how horrific you know, this seems to be, and that's just, I'm just reading the shit, you know, I wasn't even there, you know, so it, it's, 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 yeah, I, like some of the most horrific stuff I've ever read, it, quite honestly. Um, so on the 1st of May, so that's about a week or so after the initial landings, Ataturk made a final push to drive the Anzacs back into the sea once and for all. They opened fire with heavy, they opened with heavy fire on the Wellington position, which backed off when Malone called for support from friendly artillery, killing around 1,000 Ottomans to Malone and his men's delight. Birdwood ordered the Otagos to counterattack and retake another key point, the hill Baby 700, but they were repulsed. By the 4th of May, both sides were munted, Ataturk having lost about 14,000 men supposedly due to his own brand of bloody tactics. So the Ottomans were actually arguably being hit harder than the ANZACs were. And and I think this is this is something that is worth keeping in mind. I kind of mentioned it before, but in this particular case the Kiwis were and or just the, the the allies in general were invaders. You know, they the Ottomans were trying to defend their home and and you know, they were getting absolutely slammed for it in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the amount of people that were being killed. Um, so, you know, they were they were arguably paying a higher price, um, at least in terms of straight numbers of casualties. So the front line was now one kilometre from the sea, which is about 1.6 miles, um, with the Aussie and Australian trenches uh, at the three posts only about five metres or 16 feet apart, Sorry, the Aussie and the uh, Turkish trenches, I should say. They were about 5 metres or 16 feet apart. They could virtually reach out and touch each other if they tried. Fucking slap
1: each other. Oh my god.
0: In saying this, Malone writes that morale was high, and the men were joking and laughing, which I guess gallows humour at that point. It's all gone to so much shit, you may as well try and have a good time anyway, is what I gather gather from that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, like, you you probably kind of are already counting on the fact that you're gonna die. Like, mm. uh, you know, you just gotta function how you're supposed to function, and that'd be the end of it. Yeah, yep. so you might as well laugh, because what the fuck else yeah. are you gonna do?
0: Yeah, You, you you're are that many feet away.
1: Yeah, You can reach out and slap your enemy in this shitty fucking... Tr- oh, my God, for yep. how long? Ooh!
0: Yeah, exactly. Ooh. And... Malone himself was pleased because he says the Wellingtons were losing less men um, compared to other units um, in the Anzacs um, and was proud with how they fought. In one instance, a private Sidney Roberts carried three wounded men, quote, out of the infernal, end quote, before going back to get a fourth, resulting in him getting killed. Oh, my God. Here's where
1: I, like, here come the fucking waterworks fuck you thomas oh Uh,
0: why would you uh, put
1: that in there
0: i think it's worth mentioning
1: i know i yeah but this is the point where i get weird i always get weird about the woo.
0: yeah okay it's the the very real human cost i'm in it now continue um he also reported that his counter sniper team were now killing 50 ottoman snipers a day which he was very pleased with because they were quite a large plague at this point no shit yeah so 50 so are 50 the sni-
1: snipers, so no. the snipers are probably between territory Are they out or are they just literally like uh, from they're the, in trenches. the trenches
0: they're in the trenches oh.
1: yeah
0: so God. what uh, what um Basically what they were doing is the snipers would have one guy who was the sniper and one guy who was the spotter. Spotter. Um, yeah. And so they'd be basically just be sitting in the trenches and the spotter would just say, um, he'd say like a, a Jacko left of the rock, um, you know, 50 meters out and he'd find the rock. He'd see like the helmet or whatever. And he'd shoot the helmet. Um, that's so that's crack kind of, shots. Like, yeah, damn. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff they... that they were trying, trying to do. Um, 50? Fifty, my God. Fifty a day, yeah, is how many <laughs> they were getting. Um and the the other the other interesting thing is um for those of you who are listening closely, I said jacko. Um that was the colloquial term for a a Turkish soldier. Um so you've probably heard uh jerry's for um Germans, uh Jacko Germans. For, for Turks. Um and funnily enough, um this counter-sniper team that, Welling, uh, that Malone set up from the Wellingtons that were bagging 50 snipers a day was led by a Māori. So, by a Māori guy. <laughs> so, that's something that's pretty cool. I'm pretty sure we talk about, I briefly mention him a little bit later on. Um, but, yeah, he was a Māori guy of um, quite um, high rank in terms of um, his, uh, his tribe and that kind of stuff. He came from quite good pakapapa.
1: Like and if you go back and listen, which everybody do, go back and listen to these first ones. Like the general attitude taken to begin with. So that's even like that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So I I I think partially that's because Malone strikes me as the kind of guy who he may have racist kind of views, but when push comes to shove and his back's against the wall, doesn't matter what the guy looks like or where he's from. If he's good, at, if he's good at killing dudes. That's the guy he wants in charge of his team. You know, so.
1: Well, then get after it. Yeah, you're the best at fucking doing this. Get after it.
0: Exactly. So in terms of Malone himself, he had a dugout high on a ridge overlooking the beach, which had two oil sheets to keep the sun off. It also had a bunk made of sandbags with twigs and leaves for a mattress and an old sack for a blanket. Um, He slept in his great coat and used another from a dead Aussie as a cover um he would wash in a pint of water at night saving the w- same water for a sponging the next morning and maybe even the next day what was left he could use he could then use to clean his socks four bayonets were stuck into the sandbag wall as pegs to hang hang his stuff on And he had actually gone out one day to scout Turkish positions to see if the navy could fire on them without hitting his own men, but was quickly brought back before he could be mistaken for an enemy and shot. So he was actually getting out there on his own as well. During that time, he managed to grab a Turkish pack, which had a coat he intended to use as a cover for his table. He also saw some dead Turks that he wanted to bury, but he lamented that he was unable to do this for his own men, as it was pretty much a certain death. Um, so it's just, I found that kind of interesting, the way that he kind of set up his his little kind of makeshift house with various objects that he'd taken from the You know, the very- at the
1: beginning of this, I was joking about this guy taking his shit in a flower bed, locking eyes with his wife, but you know what? I take it all the fuck back right now because that shit is like, now that you know what you're into, what you're looking at, and maybe he's the only man properly
0: prepared for it.
1: It's efficient. He's clean. No trench foot for this guy. You know, he's,
0: he's doing it. He's he's looking pretty good. But the, 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 I guess the key thing to remember from this is he, he is allowed or is able to do this by the nature of his rank. The fact that he is a, fairly senior officer, he can have a whole, basically, small hut to himself. You know, the guys who are out in the trenches actually doing the hard work, they weren't allowed any of this. You know, you basically got given whatever the fuck you were given, and that was it, you know. So it sounds great but, for him, but for everyone else it was not super good. Great
1: for him, but I'm going to say there are probably not a lot of guys in his position out, like, ranging mm. around in no man's land either in an attempt to advance their position or gather intelligence. So I mean, yeah, rank, but also I don't see maybe anybody or a whole lot of anybody else in his position taking that kind of chance either.
0: Yeah. It definitely feels like, um, yeah, you know, like he's got some luxuries and he's probably a bit better off, but he, he, in a way he's kind of earned it, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. That, that's exactly it. Motherfucker earned it. I'll give it to him. like, period
0: yeah so it's with, also
1: sad that we're calling a sack blanket a luxury at this point just yeah it's let's mark that yeah yeah okay good so, just so we know where we're at as far yeah. as luxuries <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah so with with heavy casualties hamilton now ordered birdwood to stop any advance and send his two strongest infantry brigades to hellas to support the british and french Birdwood chose the New Zealand Infantry Brigade. So this meant that Malone was going to Hellas. And Malone was slightly disappointed as he still wanted to try get the navy to smash Turkish positions, but he just got his wish, being able to signal the battleship Majestic, which hit the Ottoman position with a couple of salvos. After this, Malone and his men went to Hellas
1: fuck it's not over over.
0: it's not over oh my god but it is not over
1: it's so far from over i keep thinking i keep forgetting that i just oh it's so far from over
0: so on the 5th of may the wellington infantry battalion turned over their position to the nelson battalion and embarked for cape hellas Um, Along the way, Malone was pleased with the cup of hot choccy, biscuits, two oranges, and chocolate creams he got, calling it, quote, quite a feast, end quote. Um, I'm glad he didn't appreciate
2: hot chocolate.
0: I know. Man after my own heart.
1: I was just (laughs) saying, I don't want to, like, be any more touched, but the fact that just after all that, a cup of fucking hot chocolate
2: is a feast. I might add.
0: The fifth of May. Napoleon died. Yes, fifth oh. yes, of May. That's true. Yes. Um so Hellas was a much different kind of place um in terms of its terrain to Anzac Cove. The hills, valleys, ravines, and scrub were replaced by fruit and olive trees, crop fields, streams, poppy fields, cottages and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. The roads were busy with French, Senegalese, and Zouarbe troops. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, With the front line being about four kilometers from the beach. So that's about uh, six-ish miles, I believe. The Wellingtons marched inland and were able to set up some bivouacs um, in a field for for their first real rest in 10 days. Um, I don't know if you guys know what bivouacs are. I don't know if that's a New Zealand term.
2: Oh, you no, know, I don't, don't know.
0: Okay. It's universe, are like, oh. um Like huts, I guess. Makeshift huts, mm. effectively. Um, so that was the first real rest they got in about a, about two weeks, just under two weeks. Um, Malone noted that Hellas was a much better co- country for an invasion and was much more pleased with how everything was being conducted here, glad to be, quote, where the war was wa- being waged scientifically end quote. That conviction would soon be shaken to its core. Fuck you. God damn it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I keep looking for going. the light at the end of this tunnel.
2: And, he
0: is and you're not giving he me any? It. Yeah, he's
1: smiling.
0: There is none.
1: Shit. Oh. Oh. It's all I terrible. keep waiting. I keep waiting for my like, and we've taken the beaches moment, and I know it's not coming. I know I never, it's yeah. not coming, but I'm still hoping for it. And then you just crush That's it with a smile. You're watching. Jessica. He's. I know.
2: Be really American, and you, it'll happen. It it'll really
1: happen. is. Just, it,
2: it,
0: it'll you're happen. Be left with blue balls at the end of this. That's basically what it results in. Just, just a whole lot of blue balls
1: the sad thing is I know this, but now that I'm in it and then you deliver what I know is coming with a smart ass grin on your face, just like, Oh no, it's it's going to get worse. It's It's the entire effect. Oh, it's the entire effect. Okay. So I, I agree. Great freaking place to end it (laughs) with.
2: And that we'll illusion's is going to be shattered. Tuesday With Thomas probably working from home on a Tuesday.
1: Yep. That's and it. me just having my spirits crushed going <laughs> into point, our, our, our Tuesday.
2: Our are left open for Thomas at this point.
1: Pretty much. <laughs> <For our laughs> uh, I was... I have lived a lot of my life in the last year on GMT. I am now living it on GMT plus 13. So that's uh that's that's a pump. My sleep cycle is forever fucking know, ruined thanks a, to this a, podcast. I know, but that's a three
2: that's a plus 3 hour getting you're getting back though at least minimum.
1: But I also want to congratulate our listeners um on on Kara's genius of having asked Thomas to be on the show and do Gallipoli through the uh, Malone lens, because again, as when when we took a brief break, I was talking about I've I've literally spoken about people cutletting and eating children in the 16th century and never batted an eye, but this one's gotten me twice, guys, twice. I've gotten a little teary eyed. I think and we're not even to the you. worst.
0: We're not done there, yet. Not by no log show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> when Jessica, does, see jessica's been trying to resist crying since autumn got her to cry and then peter got her to cry so therefore she's been a good sober month without tears shed so it has to happen
1: well, I figure I, I feel like it's taking on a game show element, almost a little bit. Like people are upping their game, going, "All right, I'm going to make her cry." You watch this. You watch this narrative.
0: It <laughs> was the objective. You watch what
1: I got. Well, I I've had a little fretting foreshadowing again in our break to know that I am going to do quite a bit of weeping. It's gonna get ugly. I'm yeah. glad again this is pure audio and nobody can see me get as red as I get when I usually cry. So that's gonna yeah, be a real treat for Thomas. you'll see when she's
2: gonna cry because her face will be like red, like it'll be like, like, it'll be like, this don't, that don't like a tell. And you know, you know, like a sober?
1: I'm not a sobber. I'm trying to hold it in. I almost right. give myself an aneurysm. Thus the redness. <laughs> you know, like that's I right. almost stroke out, and then I just let those single tears fall. You know, like a music video. It is what it is. Um, That being said, Thomas, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody again where we find you, where we listen to you, where you're at on social media?
0: Sure. You'd think I'd have it written down by this point now. It's the third time I've had to do it. But um, you can find me on the History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Um, Aotearoa, spelled A O T E A. R O A. Um, we talk about Ooh, obviously the history that for of us again. New Zealand. Sorry. Yeah. I, never
1: want, I never want to say, say it for loud us loud. again. I never want to say it out loud. I'm always like, the history of New Zealand,
0: <laughs> but let me spell it
1: for you. <laughs> it's
0: the history of try. Aotearoa, New Zealand. So Aotearoa is the Maori Maori um, uh, word for the, the land that is New Zealand. It means uh, land of the long white cloud. Um, which if you want to know the story of why it's named The Land of the Long White Cloud, I do have that story on my podcast as well. Check
2: out his podcast. That is a so, great yeah. lean in.
0: So you can listen to me talk about that amongst other New Zealand history. At the moment, it's mostly pre-European Maori, um, but it, there is a few other things in there as well. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, history at HistoryAotearoa. At history and you can also find me on Facebook, History Voltaire New Zealand podcast. You can also find me on Instagram under the same name, um, and I also have a Patreon, also under the same name. If you, for some reason, want to give me this,
2: and you did it without prompting. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, at this point, I feel like I, I know the drill now. So,
2: <laughs> also for any listener that follows him on like Twitter, he's a little bit more unfiltered. We'll put it that way that he Very is like, on yes. other social media. So be prepared. You will get like kiwi humor. Just head in.
0: Lots of milk and. Lots That's a hundred
2: and ten percent. Lots of cow gifs out of context.
0: Yeah. Some lots bat of yelling news. At politicians as well. Sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also, I always get very excited about the bat news and penguin teeth. Just so everyone knows. Thomas completely shattered all illusions I have about penguins. Now I watch them on those cutest animal documentary deals that my child watches. And I'm like, no, let me show you what's in a, Inside penguin's, of a mouth. penguin's mouth. Yeah. Look yeah. at their beady eyes while their mouths no. are being held open and be into fully the horrified. Of a penguin, or deep in the penguins. Or deep in the history of penguins. But also, I think by the time we finish this entire series, the way you're going on doing your plugs. I mean, you nailed that like an Eastern European gymnast just stuck it, you getting, know, like getting boom. A in it. <laughs> straight off the uneven bars for that 10, even for the French judges, I have to say tonight. So, yeah, definitely nailed it. That being
2: said, Kara, where do we find you? Ah, so you can find me on Twitter at Cara Didamuzio or on Instagram at Um, You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Time Travel Talks. And by this point, if you are mid, like binge listening, you'll already know. But please check out that page if you want to participate in a history community where you can, you know, see broad questions, see niche questions, learn and and share stuff that's interesting to you. So it's a great way to find, you know, people in the history com- community, whether you're an outsider looking in. So maybe you're not an academic, maybe you're an armchair historian that's like, you know, super interested in something. That's fine. Anyone that's interested is welcome to participate. So that being said, if, if you're listening and you're interested in what Time Travel Talks does, send me a DM. Um, again, Twitter is my preferred social media of choice. It may take me a little bit some days to get to the response, but I will respond eventually. So um, I appreciate anyone that checks that out, participates, likes, replies. You know, obviously we want to foster conversation on history and that complements body count's goal of ultimately making history accessible and entertaining. So that being said, um, Jessica, where can we find body count and where can we find you?
1: You can find the podcast at Body Count Pod on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You guys know we're retooling our website, but we do have it in its current iteration and available at bodycounthistorypod.com. Yes, Kara.
2: Oh, yes. I wanted to also add we are on Patreon as well. So if you want to throw your dollars at us, be our guest. Um, I also wanted to add as well. Keep an eye um, on our website. There'll be a lot more to come with that. Um, And shit, there was another thing I wanted to tell y'all. But let me think on it a second. What is it? What, that I'm trying at Instagram? No, nope, I remembered. So... That being said, I also wanted to mention anyone that's reviewed us recently, I want to say thank you because I noticed we got a couple more five stars. So thank you very much. God bless you Podcast folks. History, or uh whining about story I think our most two recent reviews of five stars. It is an easy way to promote and support your favorite show without having to contribute money. So if you're enjoying a show, whether it be on YouTube, you know, streaming, just audio seriously leave a comment um you'll never know it's a good way of reaching out to a content creator and letting them know their work makes a difference because
1: um remember we're lonely lonely people we speak into the void every single week (laughs) (laughs) we speak into the void don't drag me into this. I know. I'm doing, doing quite well. well. His Thank normal-ish
2: you. Life right now. But yeah. um, seriously, if you enjoy podcasts, review them on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Podchaser, or share an episode that you're really digging. Like Thomas said last time, what he enjoys, if you're listening to his show and you learn a cool fact, like if you're listening to this and you're like, oh shit, I didn't realize this about globally, tag us on Twitter and tag thomas on twitter and say hey i enjoyed learning about this it's a it's simple and easy way and knowing what we're doing get is getting across so seriously thank you in advance um i'll I'll get off that pulpit but i just wanted to let people know because i think people think with content creators all they want is money we're not making money off of this at this point we're we have full-time gigs we have (laughs) full-time stuff we're doing um so seriously, and, and, any, and that
0: If you would like to give me lots of money, I will not say no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, true. We're not going to stop you. We're not going to stop you from giving yeah.
0: me lots of money. I, I still like money, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm not in it for the money. But I do like money.
1: <laughs> We're all here because we love what we talk about and what we do. So, again. We've got some stuff coming at you. We're going to start churning out Patreon content once we get the website out up. I'll start citing sources even once the uh, website's out and up. Don't anybody fall over or pass out.
2: I'll even write
1: um, and post. It's we're
2: removing the lazy historian from Jessica's Twitter bio.
1: Like hell you are. It's still going to have a, a hint of ass clownery about it. But, uh, yeah, I will uh, get my you know, ass in gear. That. Yeah, you're smirking. But I'll get my ass in gear. I'll try a little bit, a wee bit harder for everyone. Um, that being said, you can follow me on social media at Jessica B, as in Bravo, Manor, as in the house, not the behavior. Jessica B Manor on Twitter and Instagram. I think... We have officially covered all of our bases.
2: Correct. And also, obviously, you, yes, we have. And obviously Thomas is going to be back because what a shitty way if we just stop there, right? Like.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not, no, I will no, jump no, off the dead. roof it's of my home. Teams to go. To go. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: God. Honestly, Thomas, I want to let you know this is going to be like a full, like, way. Like, we're going to have to approach this. It's just like. Gallipoli week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, an episode. Meanwhile, my
1: therapist is like, their pen's gonna run out in the next session because I'm mostly gonna be talking about Gallipoli and I'll be like, yeah, let's talk about your problems for a minute. And I'll be like, no, they end it Let me tell you about Gallipoli. Trauma. Let me tell you about Gallipoli, which is how most of that ends. So that's gonna be a lot of fun for almost everyone in my life. I'm going to be talking about Gallipoli endlessly for the next few months. So Thomas, massive. Thank you again. I'm blown away each uh, time we record by the the sheer amount of work you've done and, and how magnificent this is really turning out. And it is just, uh, you know, I'm very, very thankful. So God, best decision. Kara ever made be like oh let's just have thomas do something let's do gallipoli all right yeah whatever he wants to do i'm good with that i i didn't know how excited i would be once i'm i was in the tale and god knows i'm definitely in it now so cool. anybody uh, got anything else oh yeah absolutely we'll let you back on anytime if you want to just start writing scripts for me man like God no, bless I got my own
0: podcast to work on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I got my own 35 page scripts to write on the weekly. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck off. Uh, yeah, no, I get it. Um, so I think we've covered everything. Carrie, you got anything else to add?
2: Nope. <laughs> I'm
1: All right. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back at you with part four of
2: Gallipoli. you oh.